Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. Two years ago, it would have been hard to make the case for wholesale disruption of the commercial and business aviation sector. It was an industry that was characterized by prohibitively high startup and regulatory costs, and the business models rely on high levels of operating and financial leverage. I wind forward to today, and the cards for the industry have been thrown in the air as a result of COVID. All bets are off, and my guest this week has a ringside view of this disruption. His name is Richard Coe. He is the founder of Wings, spelt Wing X, uh, which is a business and aviation intelligence company, um, which he founded in 2010. We discuss how he got into the industry, why he founded Wings, and how he pivoted his business to become a data provider for other businesses. We also discuss the cyclical and secular themes that have brought about as a result of COVID and what the new normal might look like. Most importantly, how far we are away from booking a private jet on Uber. Richard was great. Um, do check out his website at wingx-advance.com. But without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. Richard Coe, welcome to the podcast. Richard, how did you first get into the business aviation sector? Brilliant. Well, Doug, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And um, it's, it's, it's not a lifelong story, in fact. Most of my career, um, I've actually been outside the business aviation industry. Uh, I, I started in the manufacturing industry. I worked in the telecom and tech industries. I then worked uh, in a strategy position for a large consortium that had lots of different uh, industry interests and it also had a corporate flight department and this was back in 2001 2002 and at that time there were opportunities to broaden the scope of this corporate flight department um, and partner up with some airlines to provide some sort of thin hybrid routes that fall somewhere between you know the traditional commercial aviation and um, and, and private jets and uh, so I was brought into a sort of a full time board role um, for this uh, for this company, um, reporting to the to the overall consortium shareholders. And so that's how I that's how I sort of got into the industry. That that was that was my first experience of, of how business aviation works and um, that that sort of gap between business aviation and and the much more familiar world of commercial aviation. So through the organized, through, through the sort of development of this of this hybrid business and um, the acquisition of other business aviation assets, including a, a fleet in the US, fleet of private jets, and um, ground handling services in Europe, um, I took a full time management position. So I really kind of worked my way through the uh, the management of the aircraft, their deployment in, in commercial activity, uh, the development of a charter business. Um, and to a certain extent, the management of the operations as well. So I had this kind of, you know, baptism of fire to get into the industry, having not been in it before, learned a lot about it, and then ended up starting uh, starting Wings as as my own company. So that start you started Wings in um, in two thousand and ten. Um, what was the what was the value proposition that back then, and what were you trying to solve? We started by trying to solve something completely different. So, uh, you know, my little story there is that I'd come from this corporate position, gone into a management position in an industry leading airline business. I then left to join a, a startup 
in 0809 around the air taxi business. Um, at that point, air taxis were considered to be, you know, the bright, the bright young future for, uh, for, for business jets, that they would effectively sort of democratize the access to, uh, to, to business jets by deploying fleets of cost-effective, you know, air taxis, very light jets. And, um, and unfortunately, that whole, that venture and a number of, uh, of other ventures like it were walloped by the, uh, by the financial crisis. You know, because these were did the economics then add up yeah. on that on that taxi business? The, well, the, you know, the economics um, were only going to add up if you could create the network effect. If you could very quickly uh, acquire a large number of users who uh, who would either kind of step down from uh, excessively expensive, you know, ownership schemes, let's say with you know with NetJets, or would move across from from the airports from the first class and, and, and business class lounge, and and that was that was a big bet. But I think you know it was quite an exciting space that the industry uh, had its eye on, and indeed still has its eye on, where scheduled networks um, don't offer the convenience to business users with with very limited time. And, and where the air, the air taxi network is something that could really kind of fill that space. I think, you know, in the financial conditions, that was always going to crumble. Um, uh, so, you know, that that's where it ended at that point. I, I We can move on to this, but I think that the air taxi network is, is very much renewed, um, you know, post-COVID. Okay, well, we may come come back onto that, but going back, just finishing your thought on on winging wing X, and it, yeah. some people call it wing X, you're calling it wings. I'll 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 go I'll follow you and call it wings. Um, finish your thoughts on on wings's value proposition. Yeah, so um, so I came out of the air taxi business as a sort of you know an early early stage venture, and the idea with wings was to provide a platform online to book private jet charters that's how we started because i saw that there was a lot of risk involved in trying to build up a fleet as an air taxi operator so the thinking was right let's use all the data that's out there let's acquire the data around aircraft utilization and effectively look at a sort of uber style platform that allows people to see where aircraft are um, and book them so that's that's what i did actually in the first of 18 months with my business partner who uh, is is very much the sort of you know yin to my yang, very very operationally focused, um, very data focused, and and between the two of us, we therefore felt that we had a combination to amass this data, and and convey the opportunity to users. It was it, it turned out to be a very competitive space. A lot of other companies were getting into it, and what we felt a year into the venture was that we had acquired a, a unusual. Um, quantum of data on flight activity and the industry simply didn't have that view on on utilization what that meant for the economics supply and demand and that we should pivot and start a business intelligence service and i mean to try and give us a sense of the utilization rate and perhaps the the capacity or overcapacity um that that's kind of out there where are we at the moment? And do you still think that there is this big opportunity in using some of the capacity um, that's sort of sitting around in airports? Absolutely. Let me give you a few examples. I mean, like a business jet is, um, if, if we take the, the, the average right across the industry, is used a couple of hundred hours a year. Um, and a commercial jet, at least in the sort of pre-pandemic days, was used kind of 3,000, 4,000 hours a year. 
So, so you know, you're talking about an asset which is very underutilized and um, in a highly fragmented industry, a very immature industry. And I'm talking about the business aviation industry here because you've got, you know, some 20,000 jets operating globally and over 10,000 operators. So, you know, the average fleet size is really just two tails. Um, and the reason that that's come about is that the genesis of the industry is that you've got, you know, wealthy individuals who have one aircraft, perhaps have two aircraft, and they build their own flight department. And the same thing might happen within a corporation. So it's trying to evolve from that stage into a, a service for third parties who can rent the aircraft and use them. Um, so, you know, clearly with all these many, many individual and fundamentally kind of non-commercial entities. You've got this kind of black box around the um, around the utilization of those aircraft and the possible deployment of those aircraft. So you've built up a, a great data set and data analytics around that. And um, who are you selling this to? Who are your sort of customers? And So, yeah, what we did was, was as you say, we, and it, and it really wasn't, wasn't a, a one year's work it's been going on for several years we've progressively acquired different sources to track the utilization of aircraft down to individual aircraft and to connect the information around the activities as individual aircraft into all the other information we could acquire who who owns that aircraft uh who's the operator you know what's what's their financial situation where are they based how many aircraft they're operating and down to the individual aircraft like how old is that aircraft? What's its maintenance life cycle? What equipment does it have on board? How many passengers does it fly? So you can see with this information, if you can join the dots on that information, you can have very pertinent intelligence flow for the sorts of suppliers that are addressing you know, that aircraft or the operator behind it. So our sort of go-to customers are those sitting at the airports whose business is ticking over according to the throughput of those aircraft. So MRO, maintenance organizations, fuel suppliers, uh, you know, the airports themselves, ground handling companies. And of course, you know, the operators themselves that want to understand how they're using their own aircraft, because frankly, as kind of semi-commercial entities in many, in many senses, they're not really engineered to, they're not necessarily commercially astute to, to have that, to have that data tracked. And then, of course, you know, the wider investment community that's lending to these uh, aircraft owners and interested in deploying their own operations or financing their own operations. And going back to that stage in 2010 and, and starting the business, um, how, did you, how did you get it off the ground? How did you make those sort of big capital allocation um, uh, decisions? And, you know, given that you, you kind of pivoted your, your business sort of 18 months ago, yeah, I mean, conservatively, I think that, you know, we, we decided early on that we would self-fund. Um, so we spent a good deal of our time consulting initially, whilst using the, the data flow to, to really kind of substantiate those consulting relationships and with new relationships. So until, you know, probably 2015, 2016, we were at least half a consulting company and less than half a data company. So the change for us was to invest in visualization software and to start, you know, pivoting our model towards a more recognizable kind of SaaS model where we sell subscriptions. And through those subscriptions, our customers have access to our dashboards, um, which, which we're hosting for them. And those dashboards are tailored to the individual's needs. 
I see. And just returning to a thought you had earlier, and, and 2020 was was a was an unusual year for most, anyway, particularly in the private aircraft sector. What effect did the the lockdown have, and then how has it recovered as we in the West release ourselves from lockdown? Yeah, well, I mean, as you know, the, the lockdown uh, to, to the extent that it closed borders and even at one point, you know, effectively closed access to airports, shut down flight activity. So, you know, whether it was commercial scheduled aviation or um, or business aviation, you know, with the exception of cargo and emergency logistics and medevac flying, the, the industry largely shut down last March and April. Um, but really from uh, May onwards, business aviation, by which I would sort of more broadly say everything flying non-scheduled showed a lot of resilience and, and recovered really quite quickly. And if you're just purely looking at business jet traffic in 2020, that was that ended up the year just a little under one quarter below what it was in 2019. So 24% down in terms of number of sectors flown. And um, well, scheduled, that's insane. Yeah, <laughs> compared to the commercial equivalent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, commercial commercial airline activity was down, you know, well over fifty percent. So, uh, you know, whilst twenty four percent is a is a is a pretty is a pretty big uh, is a pretty big decline, comparatively, mm. it, uh, it it looks pretty resilient. And I think the really important takeaway is that before the pandemic, business aviation was flying a little under ten percent of all the traffic. Uh, for fixed wing, in, you know, in in the sort of aviation space, and it is in May, June last year that even went up to towards thirty percent, and is now hovering just a little under twenty percent. So the role which business aviation is playing, you know, self evidently is is kind of twice as big as it was. I was um, um, making that exclamation because it, it it's been pretty resilient. Do you think that it, it's due? A, it, it's going to continue its sort of um, cyclical recovery out of this crisis or do you think there's some sort of secular growth trends behind it now that people's behavior is going to change and people are going to not want to pack themselves onto a, a large commercial airline yeah you know you, you hit the key question and and i think that both trends look pretty positive for business aviation i mean cyclically it is coming out of the the crisis i mean you know obviously we've got a Cross fingers that vaccinations, uh, you know, continue to push us down the road towards the end of lockdown because the borders have to be open for any of the any of the international travel to recommence and people need to be able to go on holiday. So, but I think you know what is apparent in the trend, not just of uh, in terms of flight activity, but also in terms of aircraft sales and deliveries, is that there is a relatively resilient rebound in business aviation. But I do also think. There are really important kind of secular trends which are now uh, accelerating due to the effect of the pandemic. I mean, when I spoke before about air taxis over a decade ago and the possibility to, you know, fill that space between scheduled airlines and, and luxury private jets, I do think that that has been accelerated because of the pandemic. Because with scheduled airlines, you know, 50% below, a lot of the capacity grounded, a lot of the networks um, shrinking business travellers and leisure travellers simply don't have the connectivity that they had before. They've got less price sensitivity. They're paying more anyway now on scheduled and they will pay increasingly more on scheduled. I think we can expect fares to, you know, I think from, from our latest tracking, they're going to be, they're going to be doubling this year. 
And so the business aviation price point is a lot lower than it was. And and as you say, people's behaviors are going to change around, you know, wanting to avoid congested hubs, wanting to have, you know, as much contactless travelers as they can. And I think that, you know, business aviation is a, is a great pool for that. Hmm. And is the elasticity that you touched on the um, price elasticity in commercial? And yeah, I sort of we agree that you know, airfares will probably double. Is the can the same be said in the business aviation space? And you know, given that there's probably an overcapacity, um, will you see pricing come back as that capacity is utilised? Do you think? Yeah, it is an important factor. It's variable across the operating space. The typical operator is more or less as it uh, as they were you know 10 years ago you know small small fleets organized around uh, an owner or corporation um and you know a great deal of inefficiency in terms of scaling but what's changed in the last four or five years so this predates covid is consolidation around some of the most successful business jet operations which are really focused on deploying their fleet to third parties, not flying for, you know, one owner or one corporation. And these operations are, are beginning to, you know, harvest the economies of scale. They're removing inefficiencies, which have plagued the industry for years. Um, and, and actually, you know, we've seen prices come down 10 to 15% in the charter market in the last 12 months. That's probably, you know, reflecting the, the, you know, the dearth of demand. But I think going forwards, we will see these sort of hybrid airlines emerge from business aviation, which, you know, in many ways behave like airlines, but just have a lot more versatility and are able to keep price points probably quite competitive um, compared to the alternatives on on scheduled airlines. Mm -hmm. I suppose we're always um, wary of of companies that are sort of the Uber for blank. But, I mean, how far away are we from, you know, being able to, to to book your business jet on the way to the airport. I mean, can, can you, you know, look into your crystal ball? Can you see a scenario where commercial airlines, you know, don't take up the slack business aviation does? Well, I think, you know, the first point is that flying an aircraft is you know, miles more complicated than driving a town car. And mm. it will always be, you know, it will always be heavily regulated. It will always be, you know, obviously have, have, a, have a lot of technical touch points. Um, so that is going to constrain it from ever being as, as simple as booking an Uber. That said, you know, if you're talking about a lot of underutilized inventory, if you're talking about uh, platforms, um, digital platforms, which can in many other sectors already do match dynamic demand and supply, that should definitely be happening. I think what's needed is a um, is a sort of scale across a few different airlines or an aggregator that can make that inventory, you know, visible and accessible to a large number of potential users. I would say that's really coming pretty soon. Well, that's an exciting prospect. I mean, very exciting prospect in in the sort of democratization of it all. Going back to sort of commercial, can you see it? Um, can you see any sort of supply being taken out? I mean, in, are there any signs of sort of increased scrapping, um, increase of airlines going bust, et cetera? Um, yeah. Is there yeah, any decent data on that? On the, on the airline side, it's, you know, we, we've seen the start of it only. I mean, you know, a number of, number of well-known brands have, have gone bust uh, or, you know, an even larger number have been rescued by, by governments for, for the moment. 
and with all kinds of you know subsidies and furloughs running out um we're going to see bankruptcies left right and center in the in the airline sector in the business aviation sector um i should think that a lot of the smaller operations will survive to the extent that they're basically being subsidized by uh you know an owner stroke pilot stroke operator so there's not necessarily the same uh pressure on them but size will matter and what will also matter is the aircraft performance profile because you know and i'm sure we'll get we'll get onto this but with the with the pressure around uh, environmental legislation i think that a lot of the older aircraft and the average age of aircraft in our industry is you know you, you're talking about 10 to 15 years depending which region you're in a lot of those those aircraft is just not going to make economic sense to maintain them have we seen the, the hidden hand of the regulator, you know, coming into that, those old or putting pressure on, on airlines with an old fleet looking to, to scrap them? And, and oh, yeah. In, yeah, in yeah. Of, I mean, you know, mandates have been on the up over the last few years and are progressively making it um, simply, you know, irrational to keep some aircraft operational. And that would definitely pick up because, as I'm sure you've, you know, you've seen right across all the sectors you're covering, the environmental red light is flashing and you know particularly when an industry is on its knees uh, if government is going to lend a hand it will it will increasingly be conditional on meeting you know more demanding standards we speak a lot on this podcast about you know the pandemic accelerating these existing trends um do you think you know again thinking about secular versus cyclical um drivers to airline demand or air travel demand what um trends we've seen that we've seen from 2020 are here to say yeah i think look you know i I pick a couple before covid you know one of the one of the big constraints on on the recovery of business aviation from the the global financial crisis um was the optics Uh, the optics of flying a business jet where you know, it was it was seen as an indulgence. There was a large amount, you know, of unemployment um, and austerity, and and firms sort of, you know, backed away from that association. Um, and you know, that that goes all the way back to you know 2008-9 when Obama was was bailing out the the car manufacturers, and you know, the head honchos arrived in their private jets, and basically the industry was was a little bit shamed. And so, you know, for years, it kind of it failed to grow as it as it should because of that that toxicity. And then, of course, increasingly, that toxicity got um, got amplified by the climate, um, the climate shaming or literally the flying shame um, where aviation in general, um, but perhaps particularly business aviation because of its uh, you know low, low passenger count. Um, is right in the limelight in terms of irresponsibility um, for flying, given given the emissions. That against that, what we saw in 2020 was this, and, and I think we'll continue to see this, is business aviation, or, or rather kind of you know, non-scheduled fleets, providing critical services, um, you know, logistics, air ambulance, increasingly cargo, uh, and increasingly corporations will choose to fly their employees um on demand so there will be these countervailing forces but but definitely you know the environmental challenge is is really becoming the number one challenge for this industry as it tries to recover 
Final question, Richard. And if you were giving advice to maybe yourself when you were back at your manufacturing job, but to people who are early on in their career, who are looking for, you know, skills shortages or areas where, um, you know, they, they can build a career, what advice would you give to them in terms of the skills that they need to, to succeed? Well, I would say that, and maybe, you know, I'm talking from a, from a sort of, you know, very personal preference, but the industries that teach you most and, and, and most sort of, you know, um, also the most exciting to be in are those that, uh, that you know, are really in a sort of changing process that are really kind of um, where, where the mold is being broken. I mean, that's what drew me to sort of telecom and tech back in the 90s. Uh, and I think with business aviation, we're really see, seeing a lot of new business models emerging now. So I'm not sure exactly I'm answering your question in terms of the skill set, but I, what I would say to anyone getting into, uh, you know, perhaps looking at the aviation industry is that now is a great time to be in it because it's completely shaken up by this crisis and there will be a you know transformation of the way people travel. Uh, and the and the best suppliers are going to emerge from this crisis with completely new services. So you know, I, I, it's it's a big it's a big advertising draw, I think. Richard Kerr, thank you for joining me. Brilliant, thanks, Doug. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, portfolio manager at Waverton, and our guest this week, Richard Coe. If you want any more information about Wings, do check out their website at wingx-advance.com. And if you've enjoyed the episode or indeed the series, then why not subscribe and like us and tell your friends. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security.